Let's continue in worship by taking your Bible this morning and finding the book of Esther. The book of Esther. I know you're surprised we've been working our way through Genesis, but we want to make a special trip this morning into the book of Esther. And I'll say more about that in just a moment. As you're turning there, let me remind you, uh, as a result of Mother's Day, we encourage you to spend the afternoon with your mom, treat her well, and there'll be no evening activities here at the church tonight. So uh, there will be no activities here. But one man who will be busy this week is Brother Herbert Davis. Brother Herbert Davis has been selected to be a part of the honor flight to Washington, D.C. this Wednesday morning. We are so proud of you, Brother Herbert. He'll be traveling to Washington, D.C. Wednesday morning, coming back Wednesday night as a part of honoring our military veterans and certainly an honor well-deserved. I'll be part of an honor drive tomorrow to Indianapolis, Indiana, going up with four other pastors. We're partners with the city of Indianapolis in our association. So we're going up on a vision trip, be leaving early in the morning and coming back Wednesday night. So I'll be out of town for a couple of days uh, in Indiana with, uh, with some fellow pastors there. We do want to honor our women today. Now you say, well, as Kobe mentioned, Mother's Day is a very difficult day for a lot of women. But at the end of the service, there'll be a bookmark. Some of our young ladies will be standing there. This is uh, from Nancy Lee DeMoss's book, Lies Women Believe and the Truth That Sets Them Free. So we have a little gift for you, women, all women. Uh, And there will be some girls at the door to pass these out. And along those lines, uh, Teresa and I have been doing this for almost 30 years. And we've realized what a tough day this is. And so my wife, the mother of my children, wrote this for the women of our church. And I, I just want to take a minute. It said, Mother's Day is a day filled with so many different emotions, some happy and tender and some raw and painful. Today, we remember those who have physically lost their mothers. And we hurt with those when we hurt with those whose mothers are still among us. But for various reasons, they seem so far away. We grieve with those whose children have left earth before them. And also with those whose children are close by, but seem to have forgotten them. We walk with those who are surprised by a child unplanned. And those who, despite all their planning, have not yet been surprised by a child. We understand the struggle of those who are surviving the little years, as well as those long, the longing of those who so wish to return to the little years once more. We rejoice with those who've been blessed with the news or coming of their first child. And we shed a tear with those who must let go as their last child leaves the nest. We admire those who painfully emptied their arms that an awaiting mother's might be filled, as well as those who have tenderly opened their hearts to a child who desperately needed a mother's love and care. So whether you rejoice, remember, cry, smile, long, or wait, wherever you are on this path of motherhood, we honor you today. May God give you grace and peace and joy in the midst of your journey and cause his presence to fill every crack in your holy armor. Mothers past, present, and future, we applaud you. So ladies, we want you to know that you are special. And that's going to be the direction of our message this morning, a woman's place. And I want you to know a woman's place is in the center of God's will. 
So we want to honor all of our women. We've been going through the book of Genesis and in the book of Genesis, we've seen God's providence working in the life of Joseph. How else can you explain that a young man, 17 years old, who is in the pit thrown there by his brothers, how else can you explain other than the providence of God that that same young man years later would become, we'd be living in the palace in Egypt and we'd become the second most powerful ruler in all the land. God had a plan for Joseph. In our story this morning in the book of Esther, we see a similar plan. But to be honest, I started to go with Ruth. We've been studying Ruth on Wednesday nights. What a woman of faith. When you look at Ruth's life, when she committed, made this great statement to Naomi, all she knew, all she, she was pledging herself to a life of widowhood, a life of childlessness. Little did she know that she would be the great grandmother of King David. And from her lineage would come the Lord Jesus Christ. God's providence, God's way of working and moving. Really, my Old Testament favorite woman is Rahab. I'll be honest with you. Rahab, who was known as Rahab the harlot. James talks about Rahab. The writer of Hebrews talks about Rahab. But when you read the book of Joshua, what a woman of faith. She entertained the two spies. She hid them out. She saved their lives. Because she had heard about God. She said to them, we heard about what your, how your God got his people across the Red Sea. We've heard what your God did to the two Amorite kings. Your God is awesome. Your God, he is God. Now, how many people do you know there's a church on every corner? How many men and women who hear the gospel, hear about God and turn a blind, deaf ear? But here was a woman with a sordid past who said, you know, your God must be God. What kind of faith is that? We see in the book of Esther, that's where we're going to be this morning. The book of Esther, another woman of faith. And by the way, next week, uh, I'll be preaching on Joseph. One last talk about Joseph as we look at his life. And then we'll honor our senior adults the 22nd of May. And then the 29th of May, we'll have kind of a, a look back at the book of Genesis, what we have learned from this wonderful book. So this morning, our attention is on the book of Esther, a fascinating book. Uh, you know, I used to say the book of Esther would make a great movie. They heard me say that. They made one. One Night with a King. I haven't seen it. So anytime I mention a movie, I usually haven't seen it. And I'll talk about another one in a minute. But there is a movie. What a, what a story of twists and turns and plots and subplots. It's, it's an intriguing book. So we, we want to take the book of Esther this morning and encourage our women. You know, they've always said that Mother's Day is a day you build up women. Father's Day is a day you beat up men. But we want to encourage everybody, okay, at Albert Baptist. We want to encourage men and women. But we want to encourage our women this, this morning to be women of faith. Let's look at Esther 4, 15 through 17. And then we're going to do a flyover of the whole book, okay? But these are Esther's famous words. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai. Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids also will fast in the same way. And thus I will go into the king. I will go into the king unannounced. Could have been death for her, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went away and did just as Esther had commanded him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for a woman of faith like Esther who surrendered her life ultimately, totally, supremely into your hands, into your justice, into your sovereign care. 
Father, we pray this morning that you would touch the hearts of women here. Lord, that you would encourage them. Help us to see that the best, safest place for a woman, the place for a woman is to be in the center of God's will for their life. God, we love you and thank you. Thank you for the women of Alberta Baptist Church. And Lord, we pray your special blessings on them this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Esther's world is what we want to begin looking at. What kind of world did Esther live in? Her place in this world was very unique. God used her in a special way. But first of all, let's notice it was a place with powerful people. Go back to Esther 1. Now, it took place in the days of Asherus, the, the Asherus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 127 provinces. In those days, as King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne, which was at the citadel in Susa, in the third year of his reign, he gave a banquet for all his princes in attendance, the army officers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes of his provinces being in his presence. What do we see here? We see a picture of a powerful person, King Ahasuerus, Ahasuerus, <laughs> however you want to pronounce, depending on where you put, the, you put the emphasis on the right syllable. But his real name was Xerxes. Xerxes, he was a Persian king. He was the son of Darius the Great. Xerxes was the most powerful man on the face of the earth. He ruled over 127 provinces. His kingdom was prophesied in Daniel chapter 2. Daniel saw in his vision a kingdom that would arise after Babylon's fall. And this was the kingdom of Persia. And this was the, the country. This was the kingdom that Xerxes ruled over. He was a powerful man. He was given power to make laws that were irreversible. The laws, according to Daniel 6, 8, could not be. They were the laws of the, of the Persia and Media. The laws of the Medes and Persians, we would uh, Google today, laws that are irreversible. They could never be changed. In verse 2, we're introduced to this king who sat on his royal throne. In the citadel, a place, an elaborate place in Susa. Now again, it's hard for us to imagine the power that this man had. You know, it was Lord Acton, not Acton Lancaster. Lord Acton who said hundreds of years ago that uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. Well, King Xerxes had absolute power. He had the power of life and death over all of his subjects. He had the power to make laws that would never be changed. But in this case, the absolute power didn't lead to corruption in the sense of, you know, we think about corruption, but it leads to prideful arrogance. Pride and displays of arrogance. That's what we see in extravagant parties. Verses three through eight. Here, extravagant. You know, again, that's not a word I use very often, but I want to help us to see the, the world that Esther lived in. So he gave this party. Verse four, he displayed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor of his great majesty for many days. How many days? 180 days. When these days were completed, the king gave a banquet lasting seven days for all the people who were present at the citadel in Susa, from the greatest to the least in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were hangings of fine white and violet linen held by cords of fine purple linen on silver rings and marble columns and couches. Listen to me. Couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of 
something. Marble, mother of pearl and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels of various kinds. And the royal wine was plentiful according to the king's bounty. The drinking was done according to the law. There was no compulsion. For as the king had given orders to each official of his household that he should do according to the desires of his own person. So what do we have? We have an extravagant party, an extravagant banquet. It was unbelievable what Xerxes put on display. He wanted to display his wealth for everyone to see. Now you think about it. Would you agree with me that you get worn out during Christmas? I know I do. Going to parties. I mean, Christmas season is just, it's really less than a month. Two weeks of hard partying wears me out every year. <laughs> I better not say that from the pulpit. But going to all these Christmas parties, okay? Can you imagine a six-month party? 180 days. Xerxes put on a, ba- a, a party, a festival, a feast for 180 days. And just look at the extravagance there. All the things that were being displayed. After this 180 days, he had a seven-day affair. Verse 5, fine white and violet linen, cords of fine purple linen on silver rings, marble columns, couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement. There's only one word for that. Extravagant. (laughs) Extravagant. Extravagant parties. Again, Drinks were served in golden vessels and various kinds, and the royal wine was plentiful. This is where the story gets interesting. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine. When the heart of the king was merry with wine. In the Hebrew, the word there is smashed. Okay? He he gets smashed. He gets drunk. And what does he do? He calls for the queen. To come and dance for all of the royal. So while the men are in one room having a banquet, the women are in another place having a banquet. So this king, King Xerxes, has displayed all of his wealth. Now he wants to put on display his beautiful woman. Vashti is her name. Her name means beautiful woman. And so the king sends for the queen to come and dance for all these men. And she refuses. Verse 12. She refuses to come. So the king has a problem. He's embarrassed. It's a problem between a king and a queen. It's a problem between a husband and a wife. And so what does he do? In verse 13, he calls for the wise men. And they come up with a brilliant plan. Dump the queen and get a new one. Let me tell you, men, when you have a problem in the family, when you, most of men and women, when you have a marital problem, don't go to your friends. Nine times out of eight, they're wrong. They're going to give you bad advice. You go to a marriage counselor. When you start talking about marriage problems with other people, you don't even get good advice. And that's what happened to the king. He got terrible advice. Dump the queen. Find a new one. Get a prettier one. Why would they advise this? Verse 18. All the women will rebel if the queen goes unpunished. So this is where the twisting plots begin. I'm going to give you an overview of kind of a flyover of the twisting plots. In chapter 2, verse 5 through 7, we meet Mordecai and Esther. They're cousins. Esther is an orphan being raised by Mordecai. Esther is her Persian name, which means star. Hadassah is her Hebrew name, which means myrtle. We're going to go with Esther. 
Up against the backdrop of powerful people and extravagant parties, we meet two Jewish exiles who have been taken into exile from Jerusalem and they are slaves. They are captives in Persia. They were in essence prisoners or slaves in a foreign land. And so the story continues in chapter two, verse one, the king sobers up and his advisors suggest he find a new queen. He's advised to take her from the beautiful young virgins of the land. Esther is selected. She becomes queen. She's Jewish, but cousin Mordecai has told her, don't tell anybody that you're Jewish. And she's, she does that. She does not tell anyone. Chapter two, verse 22, Mordecai, the story, the plots begin to thicken. Mordecai overhears of a plan by two of the eunuchs in the king's court. And their plan was to kill the king. They were upset with him. So Mordecai hears about it. He tells Esther, Esther tells the king, and these two guys are hanged. There's a lot of hanging in the book of Esther. These two guys are hanged for plotting to kill the the king. But this is recorded in the Chronicles of the King, but Mordecai is never rewarded. And that's important. Not rewarded for this information. Meanwhile, the king's prime minister is a proud, hateful man by the name of Haman. In chapter 3, verse 2, Haman demands that all the people bow before him when he walks the street. Mordecai refuses. And after some kind of prodding, they find out that the reason Mordecai does not bow to Haman, this Persian prime minister, is because of his religious convictions. He's a Jew, and he would not bow his knee to Haman, the prime minister. Haman is a prideful, arrogant, hateful man, and it enrages him. He's infuriated by the fact that this man will not bow to me. And so Haman devises a plan to have all the Jews killed. In chapter three, verse nine, by promising to pay a large sum of money into the king's treasury, he allows, he encourages, persuades King Xerxes to pass a law that would wipe out all of the Jews. On a certain day, the Persian army, the Persian people would attack all the Jews and all the Jews would be killed. The scribes were summoned in 314. The edict was issued again, that cannot be reversed. Mordecai finds out about it and he's distressed. He goes into mourning. Esther finds out why are you more asked why are you mourning? Mordecai tells it about the edict and encourages Esther in chapter four, which we just read, to go into the king. If she goes into the king unannounced, she could be killed. If he doesn't point and raise the scepter to her when she enters, she would be killed. Her life would be taken. So Esther's famous words, if I perish. I perish. Meanwhile, chapter six, the king has a sleepless night and he calls for the chronicles of the king to be read to him. Wouldn't you like to have that job? But he realizes as he's her, hears the chronicles being read to him that he has never rewarded Mordecai. So he sends Haman, the guy who hates Mordecai, The guy who in the meantime is building a gallows 50 cubits high to hang Mordecai on. He's got this hanging planned out. He's got all the details laid out. And so the king calls in Haman and said, Haman, what would you do for a man that needs to be honored? Haman says, I would put one of the king's robes on him. I would put the king's ring on his finger. I'd put him on the king's horse and I would parade him through town and say, this is what the king does to those whom he's pleased with. And king says, that's a great idea. Haman, go do that to Mordecai. (laughs) Oh, you're talking about being mad. He's madder than mad. 
madder than mad. But he does that in orders of the king. Esther is the only hope for the Jewish people. And as the day of their execution nears, at great danger and peril to her own life, she goes into the king's court. She entertains the king and Haman. And after a second feast, she reveals that she's Jewish and that Haman is going to have all of her people destroyed. The king is enraged and hangs Haman on the very gallows he had built to hang Mordecai on. Mordecai the Jew is appointed prime minister in Haman's place. The law, the edict cannot be reversed. So in chapter 8, the king says, he, he issues another edict. He can't change the first one, but he says, the Jewish people can defend themselves. The Jewish people, you know it's coming. The last month of the year, I think the 13th or 14th day, it's going to come. So the Jews defended themselves. And instead of all the Jews being purged out of Persia, the Jews purged all the Persians who hated them. God's providence. God's providence. The people of Israel were saved. The nation, the Jews were saved. Esther remains queen and Mordecai is recognized by all the Jews as a great leader. The feast of Purim Purim results, which means to cast lots, because Haman had cast a lot on what day to execute the Jews. An annual celebration now for the Jewish people. What do we see amidst the powerful people? The extravagant parties. This world that Esther found herself in. Twisting plots. A story I just went through very quickly. Go back and read it. What do we see? We see God's quiet providence. God's quiet providence. Pastor Colby told us last week that God's providence is oftentimes surprising. (laughs) How surprising is it that a, a slave girl who is really a prisoner in a foreign land, a young girl, becomes queen of Persia? How surprising is it that Haman, a hateful man filled with arrogance and pride and murder, builds a gallus and the king hangs him on the gallus he built for another man? How surprising is it that Mordecai, a Jewish prisoner, a Jewish slave himself, becomes prime minister in Persia? God's providence is working all the time. God works through and in spite of many times powerful people. You know, we're in an election year here in our country. We pray for our leaders, don't we? We pray for men and women who make decisions that impact our lives every day. But let me tell you, there's no authority given to them except from God. Jesus reminded Pilate of that at the, at, the, at the trial. He said, don't you know I have power of life and death over you? Jesus said, you would have no power if God had not given it to you. God controls powerful people. Let me remind you this morning. God's providence. God controls powerful people. The king is sitting on his throne, but we know that God is on his heavenly throne. They spent their days in extravagant excess Yet God would use a peasant Jewish slave girl to save his people. You know what's interesting about the book of Esther? God's name is never mentioned in the book of Esther. You'll find no reference to God in the book of Esther. But all the twisting plots work together to accomplish his purposes. One writer said the theme of the book of Esther is the invisibility of God and his quiet providence. God's quiet providence was at work in every little detail. Just like in the life of Joseph. Just like in the life of Ruth. 
God was at work to accomplish his purposes. Esther's name means star, but it's obvious God is the star in the book of Esther. He is the one who's accomplishing his purposes. Again, we talk about this often. We see the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man all throughout Scripture. God was in control, but yet he chooses to use faithful men and women to accomplish his purposes. We see that again with Joseph, with Ruth, with Rahab, and now in the life of Esther. God ordains his plan, and he uses faithful men and women to accomplish it. As we close, let's look at Esther. Esther's future was tested by fear. We see this in chapter 4, verse 11. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that for any man or woman who comes to the king in the inner court who is not summoned, he has but one law, that he be put to death. Unless the king holds out to him the golden scepter so that he may live. And I have not been summoned to come to the king for these 30 days. Esther's fear was real. She fully understood the risks that were involved. She fully understood what Mordecai was asking her to do. Mordecai was asking her to put her life on the line. And she was afraid. She was afraid. I think of Ruth. When she committed her life to Naomi, she was committing herself to a life of childless widowhood. There were no prospects of a husband for Ruth, only certain loneliness. I think of Rahab. When she entertained the spies, she not only put her life at great risk, but also the lives of her family members. She had heard of the mighty acts of God and she was convinced she believed forsaking her gods and turning her back on her own people to help God's people. Great women of faith who forced, faced, excuse me, faced tremendous challenges, but yet they trusted God. You know, womanhood is a challenge, isn't it? At every age, in every phase. You know, I talk to women oftentimes in marital counseling. You know, the scripture says, you know, husbands love your wife as Christ loved the church and wives see to it that you respect your husband. I think women have the toughest job. It's tough to respect a lot of husbands. There's a lot of fear, a lot of pain. I, I like what Evie Hill's wife said. She said, when I get to heaven, first thing I'm going to do is whoop Eve. You know, from childbearing all the way through. It's not just the physical pain. It's the emotional pain that women face. Single women, what are the challenges that you face? Widowed women, divorced women. There's not an easy stage for a woman to go through without having fear staring you in the face. Uncertainties staring you in the face. Women who are married and have children at home or grown up, you have fear. There's constant, constant turmoil or, or uncertainties in life. But you know, there's a woman in the book of Proverbs who says she smiles at the future. What does the woman of God do? She doesn't bury her head in the sand or try to pretend that things are better than they are. She faces her fear like Esther did. She faces her fear like Ruth and Rahab. Esther was not paralyzed by fear, but instead Esther's fear is replaced by faith. Verse 16, if I perish, I perish. If I perish, I perish. Here we see Esther's absolute surrender to the purpose of God. 
She's throwing herself into or onto the sovereign hands of a powerful God. If I perish, I perish. She called for a fast. Again, this was probably the most religious thing we see in the book of Esther. But she was asking all the Jews to seek God's favor on her behalf. She recognized the danger and yet chose to put her life in the hands of God. If I perish, I perish. What she's saying, whatever happens to me is out of my control. Now that's a woman of faith. Whatever happens to me is out of my control. If I marry, I marry. If I have a child, I have a child. If I'm a widow, I'm a widow. Esther's statement, if I perish, I perish. I'm surrendering my life totally to God's control. She was a courageous woman who was not afraid to trust the Lord with her life. Chapter 5, 1 and 2 tells us the king received her into the court. And this begins the process by which the Jews were spared. But Esther had to step out and she stepped out in faith. Absolute surrender to the purpose of God. A surrender that brings peace. A surrender that leads to action. A woman's place is in the center of God's will. By her faith, Esther's faith secures her future. Secures her future. I love what Mordecai said in chapter 4, verse 14. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. And you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not attained royalty for such a time as this. Isn't that a great quote? For such a time as this. Esther, your fate is in the hands of God. God has placed you in this palace, in this place, for such a time as this. We see this in the life of Joseph. Because of Joseph, the entire nation of Israel was spared. They came to Egypt. They were out of the famine. Because of Esther, the Jews living in Persia, their lives were spared for such a time as this. Esther's faith secures not only her future, but the future of her people. In the midst of powerful people, extravagant parties, God uses one little Jewish girl to accomplish his purposes. Ladies, I want you to know that you are special in the eyes of God. Regardless of your station in life, regardless of where you are right now, God has a purpose and God has a plan for your life. I want to encourage you, Those who've been called to be wives and mothers, God has a role in this for you for such a time as this. Your faithfulness to your husband and your children is not easy, never has been, never will be. There are many uncertainties and possibly fear, fearful situations facing you as a wife and mother. What can you do but throw yourself on the Lord's mercy like Esther? She's an example of a woman who maintained her faith in a difficult situation. Women, completely surrender your will to the purposes of God, trusting that God is at work all around you. God is at work in you and through you. Wives and mothers, you may have questions about or problems with the neighborhood you live in now. The teacher that your child has in school. The friends that your children are beginning to hang out with. You may have questions about or problems with the man you're married to. But remember, even in difficult times, God's quiet providence is at work in your life for His glory and for your ultimate good. 
What can you do but to follow the example of Esther and throw your life on the mercy and surrender your will to God's will? A, play, a woman's place is in the center of God's will. You may not be a mother today. You may be older and still without children or still unmarried. Do you think God's forgotten about you? What do we learn from the book of Esther? God's people were living as slaves in a foreign country. Had God forgotten about them? They didn't want to be there. They didn't want to be in this position in life. And neither do you. But God has a plan for your life. God is at work in you, through you, and all around you. Just as he was in the life of his people. Working through a little slave girl named Esther. God has not forgotten you. Koba mentioned last week that God's providence works through times of silence. Maybe that's what's going on in your life right now. What are we to do? You're to dwell in the land, Psalm 37, and cultivate faithfulness. Concentrate on being the woman of God that God would have you to be. Surrender to God's purpose for you at this season of life and rest in Him. And you know, I can almost hear it now. Preach, that's easy to say, isn't it? And so hard to do. It is. So hard to do. But nothing we've talked about this morning is easy. But by God's grace, we can do it. With God's people. That's why the church is so important. Ladies, you don't have to do any of this alone. With God's people. I love Philippians 4.13 where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Verse 14 says, nevertheless, you've done well to share with me in my affliction. (laughs) Paul says, I can do it through Christ, but thank you for being there. And that's what the church is all about. That's why we want to know God, find community and live on mission. Ladies, don't run and hide. Don't run and go. This is your family. We love you and we want to support you. Good times and bad. We want to celebrate with you. We want to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Young women who will surrender their will totally to the Lord for His glory and their satisfaction are in the center of God's will. Kobe mentioned again last week how God's providence works ultimately for our satisfaction. Esther faced a difficult situation. She remained faithful and ultimately her faith secured her future and the future of her people. God's providence worked for her satisfaction and the satisfaction of others. As I close, there was one who faced a difficult time, the Lord Jesus Christ. The scripture says that he was so agonized that he sweat drops of blood in the garden. He so dreaded his fate. He was so filled with anxiety and even fear that he was emotionally drained. And yet he faced the cross. He went to the cross. The scripture says Christ died for sin once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God. Christ faced his fear. Christ's faith became real on the cross so that we might have ultimate satisfaction in him, so that we might have life. Jesus is the star in the story. The Lord Jesus Christ who died that we might live, he paid the ultimate price, his life, so that we can be pardoned. Men and women, the safest place for us is in the center of God's will. And this morning, God says he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You may be a mom or you may, may not be a mom. You may be a man here today who came to honor your mom. But don't you know that God loves you and has a plan for your life. And God desires to have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. And he brought you here for a purpose. And women, let me encourage you. God is at work in you and through you and all your situations for his glory and for your good. At the end of the service, again, I want to remind you for all of our women.
We have a little gift for you, and they'll be handed out at the end. But you read these promises, and you'll see that God hadn't forgotten about you. God hadn't. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning.